0: Good morning, Calvary. Today we are back in our series. We've been calling Fix Your Eyes on Jesus. And we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark. And a few weeks ago we jumped ahead because of Palm Sunday and Good Friday, and then Easter, but now we are back where we left off, so we will be and mark chapter 6 verse 45 through 52 one thing about me is that i i love books like the lord of the rings i love that kind of that kind of thing to read i love that stuff especially the lord of the rings and if you've never read it they're great books the movies are great too uh, they're written by a guy named jrr R. tolkien who was really good friends with C.S. Lewis. So if you're skeptical about reading something like that, he's a Christian. It's really great. But uh, for our purposes today, there's one scene in one of the books. It's called The Return of the King. It's the third book in the trilogy. And there's this story or this scene where Gandalf, the wizard, he's about to face this huge battle. And the odds don't look good for Gandalf and his friends. But then, Gandalf says this, Courage will now be your best defense against the storm that is at hand, that and such hope as I bring. I think Gandalf, the wise old wizard, is correct. That when we face a storm, what we need is courage. And that begs the question where will we find the courage we need to face the storms we have to face? What we'll see today is that the Sunday school answer is correct. But ultimately, Jesus is where we will find that courage we need to face the storms of our life. And when we look at Mark chapter 6, verse 45 through 52, what I want you to see are three reasons we should have courage in the face of a storm. First, because Jesus sees us. Second, because Jesus seeks us. And then the third reason, because Jesus shows us His glory. He sees us, seeks us, and shows us His glory. Therefore, Take heart. So to begin, I'm going to pray, and then we'll read Mark chapter 6, verse 45 through 52. God, we ask that now, in this moment, you would reveal your glory to us, and that as you do that, we would have soft hearts, and that it would cause us to respond in worship, that we would praise you, and we would thank you, and we would adore Jesus. And so God would you remove any distractions that we would clearly and vividly see you and all your glory that we would have soft hearts, not hard hearts, soft hearts as we see who you really are. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Mark chapter six, verse 45 through 52. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully. For the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Before we unpack those three reasons, I want to give some context so you know where we're at A few weeks ago, Pastor Ben preached on the passage that we usually call the feeding of the 5,000, and that passage is significant for a number of reasons. First, Jesus does a miracle. There's no way around it. He feeds thousands of people with a few fish and some bread. It's also significant because if you realize what happened in the Old Testament, what Jesus is doing is really, you could say, the fulfillment of what happened in the Exodus. So in the Old Testament, the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt, and God rescued and freed and liberated his people from that, and then he brings them into the Promised Land. And on the way to the Promised Land, they spent a long time in the desert, and God feeds them with bread from heaven. And so when Jesus feeds these thousands of people, they're in a desolate place, and he gives them bread. And so it should make us see that Jesus is the true and better Moses, that he is leading and liberating his people, not ultimately from Egypt, but from our sin. And so that happened right before our passage, and then we get to verse 45, and Jesus is in a big hurry to get his disciples out of there. So let's read verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat And go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. Why is Jesus in such a hurry? It says that he forces his disciples to go to the other side. In John's account of this, of the feeding of the 5,000, we get the answer. So look at John chapter 6, verse 13 through 15. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So Jesus is aware that in light of what he just did, feeding thousands of people and knowing how fickle crowds can be, he knows that they can easily get whooped up in some sort of messianic hoopla and make him a king. And he does not want his disciples to get caught up in that because that is not why he came. He did not come to be some kind of earthly political liberator. He came to liberate people from their sins. And so to prevent his disciples from getting caught up in that, he sends them to the other side of the sea while he dismisses the crowds. Now that brings us to our three reasons, starting with number one. So the first reason we should have courage is because Jesus sees us. Because Jesus sees us, we should have courage. Look at verse 47 and in the first half of verse 48 with me. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind that was against them. Often in marriage, if the marriage is going well, the husband and the wife will encourage each other, help to build each other up. And sometimes it might mean that the husband, for instance, he may do things that he knows his wife doesn't like doing. So if he knows that his wife hates taking out the trash out of love, he may always make sure he takes out the trash, you know, day in, day out, because he knows she doesn't like it, and so he's going to do it to serve her. And often what will happen, hopefully, is the wife will notice or see this and say, Honey, thank you so much for taking out the trash. I know you know, I hate doing it, and it really means a lot to me. So now when she sees that and points it out to him, how do you think he's going to feel? I know how how I'd feel. I'd feel pretty encouraged. And so in a similar way, Jesus sees. And in this particular passage, Jesus sees his disciples. He doesn't ignore them. What does Jesus see? He sees that his disciples are having a very hard day. These are experienced fishermen. They're used to being on the sea, and they are really struggling to get across the sea. In fact, the language that this passage uses to describe how hard it is is used elsewhere in Scripture to describe somebody being tormented by a demon. In other words, they are working so hard to get across the sea that it's like torture. That it would be like one of those CrossFit workouts that Pastor Ben complains about in the morning. He comes into the office and he's limping, and I'll ask him, what's wrong? And he had to do like 500 squats or 1,000 burpees or, you know, 2,200 push-ups or something. Something ridiculous, but... It's torturous. They are working very hard, and they're getting very little in return. Jesus sees them and the pain they're in. And if you read the Gospels carefully, what you will see is that Jesus does a lot of seeing. If you go back to the feeding of the 5,000, look at Mark chapter 6, verse 34 with me. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And He began to teach them many things. What you will see over and over again with Jesus is that what precedes his compassion is seeing. He sees somebody, he sees a group of people, and he has compassion on them. And so Jesus sees his disciples in pain and he has compassion on them. And in the same way, I imagine many of you are in the same situation like the disciples. You are in a storm. Maybe you've been in a storm for a very long time, or maybe you just entered one. And what I want you to see is that you can have courage and encouragement because Jesus sees you. Often when you're in a storm, It feels like nobody knows what you're going through. You might think, nobody knows how hard this is for me. Doesn't anybody know what I'm going through? And the good news of this passage is that Jesus sees you, and he sees the pain, and he sees the hurt. And he cares so much about you. He doesn't simply see you, but he actually goes out to you. And that takes us to our second reason, to have courage. Because Jesus seeks you, you should have courage. Because Jesus seeks you, you should have courage. Look at verse 48 with me again. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the wa- walking on the sea he meant to pass by them early on in my marriage with kimberly we were like most newlyweds we didn't have tons of money things were tight and one day a friend of ours stopped by and gave us a meal just out of the blue just surprised us and she knew that you know, finances were a little bit tight for us, and so she saw that we had a need. And then she sought us out, and she gave us, I think it was enchiladas. It was great. And it really—it it encouraged us. It gave us strength to persevere in this new new stage of life we were in. We were married. We are trying to figure that out. In the same way, sort of like our friend, Jesus not only sees us, but he seeks us out because he cares for us. He cares about his disciples. Sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that the storm we're in, the suffering we're with, or the sin we're struggling with somehow repels Jesus from us. You know, as if like we smell bad and don't have deodorant on and Jesus doesn't want anything to do with us. And in fact, it's exactly the opposite that when you're in a storm, when you're suffering, when you're struggling with sin, Jesus sees that, and that draws him to you. His heart goes out to you. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says that Jesus, the Son of Man, came to seek and save the lost. That the reason he came was to find us, to seek us. And this gets to the heart of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that you don't first clean up yourself and then come to God. The good news is that Jesus comes to us because we aren't clean. He comes to make us clean. You don't think, well, I need to get my life together first, and then I'll come to Jesus. It's completely backward. Jesus sees that our life is broken. He sees that we can't fix it, and that's why he comes. He comes to fix us because we can't fix ourselves. And when you look at the disciples, that's what you see. They are in the middle of this sea, working very hard and getting nowhere. They can't fix the situation. There's nothing they can do to change what's going on. They need somebody, they need Jesus, to come to them and rescue them. I know for some of you, you could be thinking that whatever it is you're going through, whatever the sin might be, whatever the suffering might be, you could easily think that this is too much, it's too hard for anybody to help. You might even think, it would take a miracle for me to be helped. Well, the good news of this passage is that Jesus will work a miracle to get to you. He works the miracle of walking on the water to get to his disciples, to help them. Because what is impossible for man is possible for our great God. And that brings us to our third and final reason for why we should have courage. Number three, because Jesus shows us his glory, we should have courage. Because Jesus shows us his glory, we should have courage. Let's go back to the middle of verse 48 and we'll read through the rest of our passage. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. They were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Depending on the situation that you're in, who is with you can make all the difference in the world. For instance, I am not very good at basketball. So if there was a local three-on-three basketball tournament, and I was playing in that tournament, I would have a lot of reason to not be very confident or courageous, be pretty anxious. But if LeBron James offered to play on my team, you better believe I'm going to be pretty courageous. Those chumps are going down. I got LeBron on my team. And so the reason I would feel so differently and have that courage has nothing to do with me. Not because I'm special, but it has everything to do with the person who is with me, who that person is. Makes all the difference in the world. Well, in the same way, Jesus sees his disciples and seeks them out to be with them. And so, so, of course, we should ask, well, then, who is Jesus? And we get our answer by addressing probably the most confusing part of this passage. And I hope as we've been reading this, you, like me, have been confused at one of the, at verse 48 because in verse forty eight it says that Jesus goes out to his disciples and then in the very same verse it says he meant to pass by them. what does that mean how is he how is he trying to go to his disciples and at the same time planning to go past them and it was really confusing as I studied this passage and through a couple of a couple resources was able to figure out what's going on and I think the answer is pretty clear when we understand what what Mark is doing. What Mark is saying is that Jesus goes out to his disciples in order to show them his glory. That this language of passing by, Mark draws straight from the Old Testament. And it may not be on the surface of it, but when you look at the Old Testament, it's crystal clear. So look at Exodus chapter 33, verse 19 through 23 with me. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face. but my face shall not be seen. That's incredible because Jesus sees his disciples in their distress. He seeks them out. And then what does he do? He shows them his glory. He could have snapped his fingers and made the wind stop. But he doesn't. He sees us in our distress and in our storms and what he gives us is Himself. In all His glory, and all His radiance, what we need in the storm, more than anything else, is Jesus Himself. Glorious Jesus, who is more than enough for anything you're in right now. As painful and as hard as it might be, Jesus comes and gives us Himself. God come in the flesh. He gives us Himself, and He is more than enough. And how could Jesus not be more than enough? He's God. Judaism does not teach that. Islam does not teach that. Hinduism does not teach that. Only Christianity teaches that Jesus is God come in the flesh. The disciples totally missed this. Look at verses 51 and 52 with me. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. The disciples have no excuse for not connecting the dots that Jesus is God. Remember what happened right before this passage. Jesus fed thousands of people with some bread and some fish. And now he literally walks on the water. And they are totally clueless. They don't get it. So when he goes to them to comfort them with who he is and his glory, they don't get it. They're scared. They're terrified. They think he's a ghost. But if they would have realized who Jesus is, it would not be surprising at all that he can walk on water they've probably forgotten what God says in Job chapter 9, verse 8. I imagine many of you, like me, also forgot what it says in Job chapter 9, verse 8. Job, talking about God, says, Who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. The one who created water has no problem walking on it. And so, Calvary, my burden today for you is that we would see this. We would see who Jesus is in all his glory. That Jesus is the one who says to not be afraid. To take heart. Because he is God in glory. That because he is God, you can take heart. In whatever storm you're in, any distress that you're in, Jesus is God, and that is great news. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus throws himself into the storm of God's wrath to pay for your sin and to pay for my sin, to bring us to God and to pay for our hard hearts. So, Calvary, I just plead with you that you would behold your God, your great and glorious God, that you would fix your eyes on the Messiah, who is God come in glory to rescue us. Let's pray. O lover to the uttermost, may we read your tenderness to us, in the manger of your birth, in the garden of your agony, in the cross of your suffering, in the tomb of your resurrection, in the heaven of your intercession. Bold in this thought, we defy our adversary, tread down his temptations, resist his schemes, renounce the world, are valiant for truth, Deepen in us a sense of our holy relationship to you. We think of your glory and our vileness, your majesty and our malice, your beauty and our filth, your righteousness and our iniquity. You have loved us eternally. May we love you as we are loved. You have given yourself to us. May we give ourselves to you. You have died for us. May we live for you in every moment of our time, in every movement of our minds, in every pulse of our hearts. May we never flirt with the world, but walk by your side. Listen to your voice. Be clothed with your grace and adorned with your righteousness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.